You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, buenos dias, church. Who said all the Spanish speakers are gone? You, you, you know, of all people in L.A., they're everywhere. Even when they're gone, they're still here. Good morning, Coastal Region. Good morning, Los Angeles International Church of Christ. It's great to be here. My name is Robert Carrillo, and I almost just automatically went in to say from the San Diego Church. I'm from the San Diego Church of Christ, but now I'm also from Hope Worldwide. I'm very excited about being here with you guys this morning. I bring you greetings from the church in San Diego. Actually, a lot of uh, members from here are down there. We're having a children's ministry conference, a conference of meeting needs among the children's ministry and and, and among our fellowship. And uh, great things happening down there. Um, But uh, I'm very grateful to be here with you guys this morning. I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be able to uh, be here in the ministry led by the Marichis, incredible couple. Thank you so much. You know, Steve has inspired me. He didn't know it, but, um, you know, he mentioned about four years ago we met, and I was just blown away by his heart, the way he just grabbed a hope. He grabbed a hold of the need to help the poor, and it's like when he saw it in Jesus' ministry, he just jumped on it, and he's been a very inspiring example. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for inspiring us all. And, and also, I'm just grateful to be here with you guys. I don't know if you know it. You know, you don't usually know when you're on the inside. But on the outside, standing from a distance, I want you to know that this ministry has a, has a reputation of being very generous, of being very concerned for others, of loving other people around the world, of loving other ministries around the world. You've been so generous and so supportive of Mexico, where uh, my wife and I were helping and serving a lot, the Mexican churches in the last few years, and you guys have had a great impact in your missions collections and what you do, and, and now even coming into hope, seeing your heart for hope and how you guys are serving and giving, and that you don't see it as, do I meet spiritual needs or physical needs? You just see, we meet needs. We serve, we love all the way around, just like Jesus' ministry. So I thank you for that. It's great to be here with you. Um, And also, you know, this is a great ministry because you have some of the champions of hope here. You've got the Blancos, you've got the Shumps who've just been champions for hope over through, through the years. So grateful for them, the example they've set. You know, it's been exciting. This is, uh, this is completing now my first month and a little over, actually almost two months now, October, November. It's a little bit like uh, uh, jumping on a speeding train. Uh, you know, it's just been exciting. So many great things happening all around the world. Uh, you know, Hope has a great history. Obviously, this has been for so many years a uh, the benevolent arm of our ministry. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes it was more separate. And, and over the last few years, slowly, hope and the church have become more and more being one again. Amen. And, and, and it's so exciting to see as our fellowship, our family of churches, has taken on more and more, deeper and deeper, the conviction about helping the poor. And God is able to do great things through that. And that's exciting to see. And and, you know, for, for me, in a lot of ways, the challenge for the last month has just been getting to know hope, 
you know, and, and uh, we, my, my wife and I, Michelle, have been, we've been traveling around meeting hope leaders, hope volunteers, hope workers, and, and just listening. What, what's, what is hope? Who is hope? What's happening? I tell you, there's so many things happening all around the world. I mean, hope is everywhere because God is everywhere. And, and it's exciting to see, you know, we're trying to get closer and closer. Uh, we've been branded or given the, the title of the benevolent arm of the church. And, and you know, I, I'm not satisfied with the arm. I want us to be the heart of the church, the compassionate heart of the church. You know, arms can get cut off, but you don't just leave a heart, right? So, so we're, we're right in there with you guys where we're, we want to be the heart of the church. We want us to be just one uh, it's exciting, all the things that are happening. You know, as I look out, I see, I know a lot of people here. There's a lot of San Diegans here. It's good to see you guys. That's where you went. No, I wonder where you went off to. It's good to see. I see the Dills over there. Hello, Dills. We just sent them recently. Um, you know, is it great to be family? No matter where you go, you just, you feel you're with family. And it's so exciting to see, you know, as hope has spread over the years all around the globe, and no matter where you go, this is our family. And it's exciting to see what God is doing. We're going to jump into the scriptures and do a little Bible study. You guys ready? Uh, before we do that, I want to I share something with you. Um, here, let's go ahead and pray first. God in heaven, we uh, are so grateful that you've given us hope, Father. Hope for our lives. That you are the God of hope. You are the God who gives, who loves, who serves. You're the God who gives everything. We recognize that all the good things we have, we have because you are so generous. Thank you for this, God. And as we prepare to study your word, please open our hearts, God. Open our minds. Move us. Lead us. Steer us. Give us the heart that you have, God. We love you, God. We ask that you bless our study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to look at this picture I don't know if you can tell what it is. It's something that's happening in our world right now. It's actually a boat full of people. Probably about three or four times as many people as should be in that boat. They are refugees fleeing danger. They're fleeing death. They are fleeing starvation. They are fleeing watching their kids go hungry. They are fleeing, watching their parents die of hunger. They are fleeing imminent attacks, kidnappings, rape, murder. They're trying to get to safety. If we look closer, you see, and you, this is becoming one of the largest disasters in the history of the world. Millions are affected. Right now, there's somewhere between six to nine million refugees literally walking to Europe from Africa, from the Middle East, even from Southeast Europe. There are millions of refugees. And, 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 and it's easy just when you talk about millions and you talk about titles like refugees to realize it's easy to forget these are people like you and me. And they are fleeing and maybe get even closer. And it's not just even there, it's a problem worldwide. There are somewhere between 50 to 60 million people fleeing danger. 
trying to get somewhere safe, somewhere where their kids will have food, somewhere where their parents won't die because there's not the simple medicine that you and I can walk down to Rite Aid or CVS and buy on any day. But they will die because they have no access to it. So they're fleeing death. They are trying to get to safety. I don't know if you can see them. They're looking up at the plane or helicopter that took this picture. In their eyes is desperation. They are desperate. They are all ages. They are older people, parents, grandparents. They are children, grandchildren. Their entire families packing up everything they can carry and walking. I mean, imagine us walking to Alaska with your kids, whatever medicines they need, with your parents, your grandparents, and walking across the country, across multiple countries, and hoping they will allow you to go through not because you're going on vacation, not because you just want to see Europe, not just because you want to go somewhere cool, but because you don't want to die. And you don't want to watch somebody you love die. They are all ages. They are all every race. They are every race. They come from the full spectrum of the human race. And they're all trying to find safety. They're all trying to get somewhere where they can live. Six to nine million on the trails to Europe, 60 million global. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they, they're desperate. This is happening right now, today. Many of them, they pay anywhere between 1,000 to 2,000, usually around 1,300, 1,400, to get a ride on a raft, to go from Turkey to Greece, to get across the Mediterranean. And obviously many of these rafts are not seaworthy. And many of them don't make it. But they're so desperate, they're willing to risk their lives. And many of them get to the shore, and they get to a raft, and they find out that it costs way more than they have, and they pull their money together, and they may have three, four, five kids, but they can only afford to send one person. So they have to choose which child lives. Which child do I send? And they have to ask somebody, please take care of my child knowing that they will probably never see their kid again. Imagine having to make that choice. Which of my children will live? Which of my children will stay with me on the streets, on the side of roads? They are desperate for life, and they don't all find life. This was a picture that shocked and horrified the world. It shocked and horrified millions of people in Europe and around the world. You see, you remember, what's our favorite scripture in our fellowship? For I know the plans I have for you. Whatever country I go to, I can start that and everybody can finish it. Plans to what? Prosper you. And to give you what? And what? Future, right? God had plans for that little boy. God had plans to give him a future, to give him hope to give him life. It wasn't supposed to end this way. He wasn't supposed to die like this. He was given life. And the sins of the world 
took it away. And he lost it. We have no idea how harsh that would be. He had a mom and a dad. I could show you pictures of them. And the horror they felt at their son. The question is, who cares? Really? Who cares? They're not our nation. They don't speak our language. Most of them don't. They don't eat our food. They come from an entirely different part of the world. Who cares? Who cares that women and children are dying? Who cares that men are giving up their lives to give their children life? Who cares about this little boy? Well, we know this. We know God cares, right? Amen? I mean, isn't that great news? God cares. God cares about that little boy. God is the one who gave him life. God knew him before he was born. God knows every single person on this planet. God knows all of the over 7 billion people alive, and he knows us, every one of us. He knows you, and he cares about you. That's our God. Our God is greater, right? Our God is awesome because he cares. Because when the Bible tells us who he is, it says God is love. He cares about us. As much as we love our children, he loves us even more because he's perfect. He defended the cause of the poor and needy and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Doesn't it, doesn't to know me, doesn't that mean you care for the poor and needy? Doesn't that mean you care for others who are in need? Jesus cares, amen? He cares. Which of these three? He told the parable of the Good Samaritan because, because somebody pointed out that, 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 hey, you know, most of those scriptures in, in the Old Testament we read about having the poor, most of those are about God's people. And that is true. God's people are very important to God. And they are always a priority in the scriptures. But it's not just God's people because God loves all people. In one sense, he has his elect, his adopted, right? We, Russ talked about that. He has the adopted, the one who, we are the adopted, but all are God's children in one sense, in a general sense. And he cares about all of us. So Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. He says, which one of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Remember that word, because that's a very important word. The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus cared. If you were to write down everything Jesus did, recorded in the scriptures, 75% of it would be healing and serving people. Feeding them, healing them, helping them. God cares. Jesus cares. Amen? Guess what? We care. Amen? We care. We're a group who cares. We have decided to be God's people. Amen? And I want to encourage you because the point of this is not to, uh, is not to make us feel guilty. It's to understand how important what we're doing is. We're a church who cares. Just listen to our announcements. We're always feeding somebody or sending shoes or something to somebody, right? Because we care. Because we're made in God's image, we're supposed to care. 
We're supposed to do something. And we're all over the world serving, giving. That's all that hope is. It's some of us organizing the care, organizing the mercy. Here's our scripture, Matthew 25. Now, I have to give you a warning. You know, you take medicine, it has a warning, right? And there's things, everything has a warning label now. My iron, we just bought an iron, and my iron had a warning label. Do not iron while wearing clothes. (laughs) I'm so glad they warned me. I was just going to iron real quick. No. This is a scary parable. I got to tell you, this is a, this is Matthew 25. The whole chapter is scary. So this, you've been warned. All right. You've been warned. But I think today this should be really encouraging. Amen. Take it the right way. It should be encouraging because it's a very encouraging set of scriptures. Now, If you don't know where Matthew 25 is, it's right after Matthew 24, okay? And that's important. That's theologically important, okay? Because Matthew 24 is called the mini-apocalypse. It's where Jesus tells us how everything's going to wrap up, okay? And he talks about how the world's going to wrap up, how creation's going to wrap up, how Jerusalem's going to wrap up, how the temple's going to wrap up, how everything comes to an end, and he goes back and forth. And, and he talks about it and he warns us about don't just believe everybody who comes along and says, you know, the end is coming or I'm the Messiah or this is the date, October 21st. Hey, thank God that passed, you know, and we, we kept moving, kept going. I'm still here. But then he tells these parables that are very much tied to the, the end, the apocalypse. In Matthew 25, let's go ahead and turn there. Matthew 25. So he starts out, we don't have time to read all the parables. We're just going to read a little bit about the third one. The first parable, he talks about these sisters with oil, right? And the lamps. You remember that one? And he basically tells them, you better be ready. Because the Son of Man is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Can I get an amen? amen? No, really. He's coming back. I'm telling you, he's coming back. And, we, and he said, we're all going to see it. A sister asked me, how are we all going to see it? Is he going to flatten the earth and, and, and we'll all get to watch Jesus? I don't know. Maybe he's just going to come on CNN. <laughs> and we'll all see it. The other night, I don't know if you were out, the other night there was a rocket ship launched. And we all saw it. And, and as it was taken off and everybody, we were all trying to figure out, what is it? What is it? And all of a sudden this blue glow expanded and we didn't know if we should run for the holes or run for the hills or or what but or or Jesus was coming back all of a sudden everybody remembered oh that's right he's coming back we tend to forget that that's a long time bro it's been 2,000 years but remember the Bible says for God a day is like a thousand years right so that how long has it been two days And keep this in mind, God likes doing things on the third day. So the point of the parable is be ready. And don't give up being ready. And then he tells another parable 
about these guys who get a bag of gold or the talents, these gold coins. And what's that parable about? Well, you've only got a short amount of time. What are you doing with that time? What are you doing with the things that God has given you? What are you doing with the resources? What are you doing with the talents? What are you doing with with all that God has given you? No matter who we are, we all have strengths. We all have gifts. We all have blessings. Some have more than others, but we all have something. The question is not do I have something. You have something. The question is what are you doing with it? And then he gets to this last one, and this is our scripture. The sheep and the goats. The sheep and the goats. Now this is one that for many years I avoided. It was just too scary. Or as we say in the South, don't get us scared. (laughs) Come on, bro, don't be scared. This is one of those scary ones, but it shouldn't be scary for us as disciples, amen? It should be encouraging. So he tells this parable. When this, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in, in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Guess what? The parable hasn't started yet. Everything he said this far is fact. This is not a story. The story is about to start. Everything is what is going to happen. He said the Son of Man is coming in his glory and with his angels. I can't even imagine what that's going to look like. But I'll tell you this, it's going to be awesome. And we will see it. And you'll all go, Robert said that was going to happen. No. We're going to go, thank God I'm a disciple of Jesus. Thank God I'm a Christian. Thank God I didn't fall away. Thank God I didn't quit. Or thank God I repented and came back. And we're going to be pretty happy campers. We're going to be excited. We're going to be going, whoa! But Jesus said a lot of other people won't be saying that. But we will. We'll be saying, I know it. I know it. He said, this is what's going to happen. And he said, this is how it's going to go. I'm going to gather all the people and I'm going to separate them by nations and there they'll be. Everybody will be in front of the Lord. Everybody. You and me will be there. We'll we'll look at each other. We won't say anything. We'll just glance and we'll know. Yep. He said, I remember you preaching on this. And it'll be there. We'll be so excited. And then he says this thing or it starts to get scary. He's going to separate everybody, not by race, not by language, not by how they cook their rice, even though we all cook it different, (laughs) but sheep and goats, sheep and goats. So in verse 34, he says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you, we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I warned you, it's a scary one, isn't it? It's a scary one. It has a lot to say. There's a boatload of teachings in here. There's a lot for us to learn. Very important things. Very important things. You know, it tells us that he's going to separate everybody like sheep and goats. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot about sheep and goats. I didn't grow up with sheep. I didn't grow up with goats. Uh, my wife had a goat when they were a kid. I heard some pretty cool stories on that one. Um, so I actually sat down with a brother. Actually, he might be here. Turnwall, you out there somewhere? Oh, he's in Alaska. That's where he's from. Where he has sheep. <laughs> yes. His family raises sheep and goats. And I asked him, okay, tell me, what did Jesus mean by this? Jesus used a lot of analogies, a, a lot of visual images that everybody would understand that was listening to him. You could, today, you drive around the Middle East, I've driven around the Middle East, I've driven around Israel, and you see sheep and goats everywhere. And people still raising them, still having them, so they would know exactly what he means by that. There aren't a lot of sheep and goats running around Los Angeles <laughs> or San Diego. So for many of us, we lose the subtlety of what his analogy is, but it's Believe me, an important analogy. Sheep and goats. I'll tell you this about sheep and goats. Not all sheep are the same. Sometimes we think, oh, a sheep is a certain look, a certain way. You know, just like if you're a Christian, you have a certain look in a certain way. Not so quickly. Even Christians come in all shapes, sizes, colors, and even styles. Right? So don't put us all into one homogenous look. Sheep can be very varied. Some of us, it's hard to tell. Is it a sheep or a goat? Some of us aren't sure if we're a sheep or a goat. If you're a sheep, you know you're a sheep, okay? And you'll, at least you'll know by the end of this lesson. Sometimes it's hard to tell. But there are major differences between sheep and goats. I'll tell you a few of them. And this is what Turnwall told me, and I did check it with several other people as well. He said, first of all, neither are very smart. Okay? 
Don't take it as a compliment. He said, sheep, overall, this is his, I'm quoting, are really stupid animals. And I said, well, what about goats? He said, even worse. Okay, so just because you're sheep doesn't mean you can look down on goats, okay? No Christian should be looking down on any non-Christians, right? Okay, we all need Jesus. But here's a few other things. Sheep are gentle and quiet and tend to be followers, Goats, on the other hand, are pushy, self-sufficient, headstrong, and very independent. Goats are naturally quarrelsome and have short tempers. Okay? Yeah, usually their horns point forward. Ours, or not ours, but sheep have ones that curl back. They rear and butt in order to establish dominance, those goats. Rather than being more passive, they have more aggressive tendencies. Sheep are dependent on the shepherd. Goats like to run off. Goats will easily revert back to their wild condition if given the chance. Goats do not graze like sheep and will eat anything. If you've had goats, you know that. They'll eat anything and everything where sheep are more grazers. Goats tend to destroy the land. Sheep don't. They don't tend to destroy the land. <clears throat> Goats like high places where they look and can look down on everyone else. Sheep, not so much. Sheep arrange themselves in a herd. Goats don't need a herd. They don't feel the need. They're way more independent. At night, when the, when the shepherds bring in the sheep, they can pull them all in together. And by the way, they can call them out and the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. And they'll come, not necessarily goats. And the goats have to be tied off so they don't run off or penned. Where the sheep will want to stay close to the shepherd. Male sheep fiercely protect their females from challengers. Goats don't. Male sheep pretend, tend to protect the flock. Goats tend to run off in danger. And don't protect their children, the, the young ones. Goats are stubborn and destructive and left unattended. They will not protect their own. The name goat in classical history has been used to symbolize debauchery, has been used to symbolize evil, has been used to symbolize bad things. In fact, you've probably seen a satanic symbol that has a goat on it. There's, there is a difference there is a difference. And he says, this is how he will separate things. There's a lot you can get from this parable. We don't have time for all of it. I'll mention a few. Jesus is very aware of how we live our lives. What, are, what is our contribution? What do we bring? I don't mean our check. I mean, what do we give? What do we bring to the table? And God has given us all something to share. What do we share? What do we give to others? What difference are we making? with our lives. Obviously, that's incredibly important to Jesus. Our faith is proven by our deeds, not our words. It's not what we say, it's what we do that counts. As somebody once said, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are so loud. Or as somebody else once said, preach the gospel wherever you go, and if you must, use words. 
right? Or as James wrote in the Bible, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sisters without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead, right? It's our deeds that show who we are. It's not our deeds that save us. Jesus saves us, amen? But our deeds prove what our faith is. They prove what our convictions are. Jesus wants us to help those who are poor and needy. That's the most obvious understanding from this scripture, right? From this parable. It does matter to Jesus. It does matter to him. Are you helping the poor? What are we doing for the poor? It does please Jesus. When we're doing all this stuff that we're doing, and sometimes, I would say, if anything, sometimes we do too much. We're taking on so many things. But the good thing, you know God is smiling about that. You know God loves it. Last week, the, 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 the region that we're in, the mission region in San Diego, they held a banquet. I mean a banquet with beautiful table linen and cutlery and all that kind of stuff and top-notch food for the homeless. And they literally went out and gathered the homeless and they couldn't get them to come and they had to go back out just like the parable and talk them into coming. They went down to a tent city. There's right in the middle of San Diego, the San Diego River, there's a whole tent city alongside of the river. And they went down there and asked everybody to come, invited everybody to come to feed them. And it impacted them so much. You know God was fired up about that. He's fired about what you do for the poor and needy. Number four, judgment will include a review of who we have loved and helped. Jesus said, what good is it to only love those who love you back? Even pagans do that. Who are we loving and serving that may not ever be able to love us back? May not ever be able to give us anything back. That's the heart of pure religion when he talks about giving to orphans and widows because, because they're not in a position to give back to us. Then you're being just like God. You are participating in the divine nature. You are giving with no expectation and maybe even no possibility of that being returned. That is being like God. And lastly, entrance to the kingdom of God is dependent on kindness and generosity. This is one of the final exam questions. Write it down quick. I used to have a professor say, if I say something twice, it's because it's on the final exam. Let me say it again. (laughs) Entrance to the kingdom of God, and I mean the eternal part here when we die, is dependent on generosity and kindness that we practice. He's checking. He's checking our math. And what a nice God. You know, what professor did you ever have that gave you the final exam on the first day of class and said, here, prepare, this is the exam. We'd say, ah, this is a trick. No, that's exactly what God has done. Here's the final exam. So whose fault is it if we're not ready? God is very generous. It's pretty easy on us. But this is the only thing we're going to focus right now. It shows us what's really important to God. You see, it's very easy in religion to focus on the rules. In fact, religion tends to do that, doesn't it? Religion tends to sink to its base form, which is what are the rules? 
And people oftentimes will come to church, maybe you're visiting today wondering, yeah, I was wondering what your rules are. <laughs> Here's the rules. We got 630, nope, better than that. We got 10, nope, better than that. We got two, love God and love your neighbor. But at base, religion tends to drop down to what the rules are. Does that mean the rules are, impor- are not important? No, they're important. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear until everything is fulfilled, right? In other words, yes, obey the rules. You've got to make sure they're God's rules, not other rules. Make sure they're God's rules. We do have to obey them, but that's not what this is about. Michelle and I have been doing premarital counseling for years. And when I get a brother sit down and say, like, I want to be a great husband, I don't tell him, okay, here's the rules. You got to take out the trash. You got to feed the dog. You got to keep the garage clean. You got to wash the car once a week. Now you can be a great husband. When, sisters, is that the most important thing? No. How about loving your wife? How about loving your kids? How about loving them like Jesus did, right? That's the most important. But do you want these other things taken care of? Yes, right? Somebody better be throwing out, well, that's what we have kids for. We throw out the trash, wash the car. Okay, the point is it's got to get done, right? Some people want to just throw out the rules. I just love. No, you got to do the rules. You got to do what Jesus asks us to do But that's not what this is about. This church is not about following the rules. We follow God's rules, amen? But there's something way more important than that. Love. And there's a whole bunch of really cool scriptures about how love is the most important thing. It's the sum of the law. All the law is summed up. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. They're all summed up in this. Love God and love each other. And there are some that are more important than others, right? They asked Jesus, which is the greatest? Jesus said, what do you think it says? Love God and love each other. They are greater than all the others. They are the most important things. What does the Lord really want from me? Jesus said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, the religious leaders of the day, they were really good at following the rules. The rules are important. When you get on the highway, please drive on the right side, right? Follow the rules so you don't kill yourself or kill somebody else. But it's not all just about that. Jesus recognized that many of the religious leaders, they just made it all about the rules. He said, go find out what this scripture means. There's a key word there. Remember mercy? Key word. There it is. Chesed. It's a Hebrew word. Say it with me. Chesed. It's in here. Chesed. Not hesed. Chesed. It's in there, right? You know, that's the word that most describes God in the, old, in the Bible. It's the word most used to describe God. And guess what? We don't even have an English translation for it. There is no English word like this word. Sometimes it's translated love. Sometimes it's translated loyalty. Sometimes it's translated kindness. Oftentimes it's translated as mercy. It is the love of God. It's the closest 
that agape would come to. It's God's love. It's a far greater love. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin. You follow the rules, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, that's chesed, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. This is what really matters to God. Yes, oh, follow the rules. But this isn't about rules. Any more than a marriage is about rules. It's about love. Loving God and loving people. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. Actually, the word for mortal is ad adam. Like Adam, it literally means dirt person. <laughs> dirt person. That's what Adam means. Dirt. Now, you know, we, we get pretty excited about ourselves. I'm pretty good looking, or I'm pretty educated, or I'm pretty smart, or whatever. We get all dressed up. We wear Michael Kors dirt. <laughs> we have Armani dirt. We dress it up, but at the end, guess what? We all return to being dirt. He says, he has shown you, oh dirt man, oh dirt woman, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, oh, we've heard that one before, to love mercy, chesed, and to walk humbly with your God. That little turtle right there, they're born in the millions on full moon. And they're born as the moon, you know, the full moon sits across from the sun, so it's out over the sea. They come out of the sand, and they see the full moon, and they start traveling towards it. And they go into the ocean, and they live. Well, not too long ago, there was a bunch of these born, but since the last time, they had built a parking lot with big parking lights. And so the, the little guys all came out of the sand, and they saw the parking lots and started heading for the parking lights. But a bunch of kids at the beach saw what was happening, and they grabbed flashlights and went and stood in the water and shined the flashlights on the little turtles. And the turtles turned around and headed out to sea and headed out for life. That's you guys. You're not the light of the moon. You're not the light of the sun. That's Jesus. That's God. But you are the light of the world. You are the light that shines. You are the light that leads people to God. And you do this when you feed the hungry, when you close the poor, when you heal people, when you send money so that others can be healed that may never thank you, that may never know your name, but you're being like God. You are the light of the world. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.